Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Merv Hughes, a former Victorian and Australian cricketer and fast bowler, playing 53 tests, taking 212 wickets for Australia and 33 one-day internationals. Post-career, he's been a media talent, an Australian cricket selector and a part-time actor. He was recently inducted into the Australian Cricket Hall of Fame and is a passionate Western Bulldog supporter. And Rodney Hogg, also a former Victorian Australian fast bowler, he played 38 tests for Australia, taking 123 test wickets, 71 one-day internationals, and taking a further 85 wickets. Post-career, he's worked in coaching, he's been a Victorian cricket selector, and is a regular after-dinner speaker. Let's get started. All right, guys, we'll get started on the show today. We've got Merv Hughes, the former Victorian Australian cricketer. Welcome, Merv. Shane, how are you, mate? Mate, I'm really, really good. Thanks for doing this, mate. And uh, the other guest, another Victorian fast bowler, Rodney Hogg. Welcome, Hoggy. Shane, how are you going, mate? Mate, I'm really, really good. So I was just, uh, I was just asking Hoggy off air, Merv, but did you and you and Hoggy cross over at all? I think you were 12th man in one game uh, that Hoggy was playing many years ago. Is that correct? Um, yeah, when he came back from South Australia, um, we'll, we'll sort of fight it for spots in the, the Victorian side. And, of course, when Sir Rodney came back from South Australia, he walked straight in and all us uh, young blokes got pushed to a side. So um, I, I still remember a day at, at Princess Park. Um, I think we were playing West Australia from memory. Um, he had he was fielding at mid-on to Tony Dottermade bowling and he had Tony Dottermade believing he was an express pace bowler, um, charged in and just tried to hit blokes in the head. I said, what happened there, Dottie? He said, oh, Hoggy just got me fired up. <laughs> what was your recollection of that, Hoggy? Uh, didn't play uh, didn't play Western Australia. We were playing Tasmania and um, Boone. Um, I can't remember Dotter, mate, either. I can't remember Murr. But Boone <laughs> gloving one straight up in the air and didn't rub his arm. And uh, and the umpire said so I came off his um, – I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm still shocked by that one uh, today. Hey, Merv, do, do, you, do you miss playing cricket? Um, probably don't miss the training, to be honest. I don't miss uh, the six hours in the field. What what I do miss is uh, the camaraderie, the mateship, and especially that probably first two hours at the end of the day. Um, just in the rooms, just yeah, the, yeah. the boys together. Um, that's that's what I really miss. And if we've got past players day down, down at, at Footscray. Um, you walk into the rooms and you tell the boys, just soak this up, boys. This is the only thing you're going to miss from cricket. Yeah, it's a very, very good point. And, Hoggy, do you miss it? Because you, you played well into uh, your 40s, didn't you? I missed the three overseas trips. Um, <laughs> and uh, I like people now, so I couldn't play cricket anymore. So you weren't a big big fan of people when you were playing, mate? Uh, well, the ones who had pads on I didn't like, so they, they were the ones that uh, used to annoy me the most. But, yeah, basically didn't like people. But then I had a fruit shop between the ages of 40 and 46, and I learnt that um, perhaps you'd better start liking people, otherwise the, sh- otherwise the shop will go downhill. So I started uh, being nice to, started being nice to people, and um, I just carried on ever since. So, Hoggy, how do you go from being a, uh, a world-class fast bowler to, to running a, a fruit shop? Um, the word cash appealed to me, 
and um, <laughs> not paying any tax appeal to me. So, uh, and I was down, I sort of didn't have a job, so um, I sort of got sucked in and bought the fruit shop, unfortunately. How'd that go for you, Hoggy? That would have been good hours. Um, yeah, it uh, didn't help the marriage at all. And um, <laughs> yeah, you had to get up at 3.30 in the morning and you worked at 6 and then you went to bed at 8 o'clock. Um, I can see why not too many Aussies have got fruit shops. You spend your whole life comparing apples to oranges, as they say. Hey, Merv, um, you're, you're very famous and well-known for, uh, particularly at the MCG, standing there and stretching and, and having the whole crowd stretch behind you. Do you still stretch at home, and, and who stands behind you when you do that? Uh, to be honest, Shane, the only warm-up I do now is when I turn the heater on in the car. Um, uh, very, very low-key these days. Um, stretch the imagination on, on occasions, but uh, that, that's about it. Um, now, the MCG, May 13, um, Boxing Day or, or one of the one days, to have that crowd support, and, and especially that May 13 crowd support, um, was fantastic. Um, but yeah, mate, do very, very limited stretching these days. Was that your favourite ground too, Hoggy? The MCG? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, not really. Um, it went all right because the, the wicket was a shocker. When I played there, the wicket was a shocker. So the ball used to run along the ground. So um, I invented a, a ball that was called a grubber. But uh, that was that was amazing to see the, the public behind me. That was just. Uh, you, I think anybody who's been a cricket lover just remembers that their whole life. The way they got behind him when he was down there doing his stretches was an absolute standout uh, moment in cricket. Well, it was a highlight for me. I remember, Merv, uh, you were just finishing when I was starting. I think I came into the Aussie One Day team nine ninety five. I think you – did you finish around 94, didn't you? Yeah, no, I finished, finished very abruptly at 94. But you you did teach me one thing uh, just prior to you leaving. You taught me how to drink two Coronas at once. We called the Warus Tusk, didn't we? <laughs> Mate, very important, very important skill to have. I mean, um, Coronas aren't overly large in volume, so if you can get two in your gob and, and neck two of them, um, it's it's very important. And and I try and pass on this wisdom to to younger players, Shane. So that's yes. the sort of person I am. But I remember I remember standing. I think it was Jackson's on George with you years ago, and. Um, Every every guy in the pub wanted to talk to, to, to Merv Hughes, of course, and they'd come up and you'd, you'd say to them, mate, you've got two minutes, two minutes, ask you any questions you want, and they'd ask any questions. you go, two minutes up, next dickhead. <laughs> and they go, thanks, Merv. Shane, I actually learned that from Rodney Hogg. So as I passed on information to you, Rodney Hogg actually passed on information to me, and, and I did learn that from Rodney. Hey, Hoggy, speaking of uh, passing on and uh, information, let's talk, let's talk through that Ashes tour of yours where you took, was it 41 wickets at 12? 12.85. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> you, you've opened a can of worms here, Shane. Beautiful. <laughs> Did you want to start with Gooch up in Brisbane, a ball that just seemed back a little bit and flew to gully and, and was given out to court and he didn't hit it? Did you want to start with that one or boycott court? Second yeah. one was boycott court at uh, slip by Kim Hughes, which was unusual because Kim shouldn't have been in the slips. Um, <laughs> third one, yeah. I've got uh, how long? Well, on, sorry, sorry to jump in there. What, what about the? I think it was at the MCG from memory. I may be wrong, but the day that you set up Jeff Boycott, you came in, bowled a couple of lovely leg cutters, and then bowled that off cutter, had him letting it go, and, and bowled him. So that that was pretty pretty special, wasn't it? Um, 
It was pretty easy to get a wicket in 78, 79. I remember a warm-up ball getting boycott LBW in Sydney and it wouldn't have knocked the bales off. But uh, um, I, look, I look back at some of those dismissals, moving. I'm embarrassed uh, the way the guys charge in every delivery now and uh, bend their back and they're unbelievable on some of the wickets that are reasonably flat. And I re- probably refer to that last day where we couldn't bowl India out and we seemed to get criticised but I thought India was sensational and uh, I thought our bowling was was excellent but uh, um, but we got criticised because we couldn't bowl India out but they were fantastic. Merv, what, what, what could have our bowlers done in that series, the recent series against India, do you think? I don't, I don't think they could have done too much more to be honest. Um, mm. I thought I thought we bowled particularly well. Our fielding wasn't great. Um, I think we gave India too many chances and to be brutally honest, if we're going to point the finger at anyone, it's got to be that top six. We just didn't yeah. get enough runs on the board. Um, so for for our side to constantly be be bowling India out, and let, let's not forget that first test match, Shane. Gee, we bowled them out for 36 to win mm. the test match, so we chased 90 there. If they make 150 in the last year, we probably don't get it. Um, so we don't win that test. But I just think that um, the, the Australian public... Well, they, they demand too much and they, they expect too much. I think they, they think cricket's an easy game with the side that we've got we should win against India in Australia. Um, but give credit where credit's due. India played fantastic cricket um, and they just showed the depth that they got. When they lost Coley and lost that first test match, I, I must admit I thought we were going to win 4-0. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of Australians thought that. But um, the depth that they got, they lost, uh, they replaced an opening batsman and got a, you know, got a debutante in and um, by the end of it, I think they were missing five or six of their regular team. So to still play that well um, was fantastic. And also the characteristics of the the, the wickets mm. have, have changed dramatically, Shane. We've got to take that into consideration. That drop-in pitch in, in Sydney, it doesn't dust up like the old one. So the advantage of, of batting first and bowling on the fifth day has gone. It's almost more of an advantage now to be batting and chasing runs on that, that fifth day. It's very, very hard to get out. And and Brisbane, um, we normally play up there in in October, November. Uh, humidity's high. The ball swings. We get up there. Ball didn't swing at all. And obviously, that's that's a real problem for Mitch Stark. But yeah, I couldn't fault this Australian bowling combination. Yeah, they're a very, very good uh, attack as a, as, as a group. Hey, Hog, I want to ask you both. You both um, Shane, yes? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, I admire those four bowlers for Australia. Obviously, Cummins, Superstar, yep. Hazelwood, Superstar, Stark, Superstar, and Lyon, Superstar. But the only thing I hate about it is they're all from New South Wales. <laughs> Mate, we've got plenty of talent I'm sick up here. Of it. <laughs> yeah, but Hoggy, Pat Cummins was born in Victoria and moved north. Was he born in Victoria? Oh, that's well. That makes it even worse. Well, no, no, he wasn't, Hoggy. I was just giving you some hope. <laughs> hey, you two both love bowling bouncers. Now, I want to ask you this. Now, um, you, and you both played against the West Indies when they had some pretty um, fiery attacks. What was it like having to bowl the bouncers to to the West Indian fast bowls and then cop it back? I'll start with you, Hoggy. Well, don't be silly, Shane. I wasn't going to bowl short to the tail enders. <laughs> I just um, I used to say sorry to Viv when I bowled a short one. Now it was a different game playing against them. I think Merv, Merv and McDermott, um, um, those two guys changed things around a bit. We fought fire with fire, but uh, 
when I played, uh, it was basically, <laughs> it was like we had uh, pop guns and they were uh, shooting us with uh, automatic machine guns. It was uh, it was an interesting time <laughs> playing against him. Uh, it was great to see it change, and I think it changed in that uh, in that tour that Merv was on to the West Indies where uh, where we got back at them a little bit, and I think we um, might have even drawn the series, so I can't remember, but it was quite brilliant to see Merv and McDermott giving it back to them. Now, Hockey, just just a quick one. Did any of those great West Indian bowlers have a slower ball by chance? <laughs> well, um, one bowl, one in the in the series I've played against West Indies, which, which was eight test matches, um, I saw one slower ball move. I actually saw it, but didn't play it accordingly. Is that what you're referring to? <laughs> <laughs> what was your quote? I've never seen a slower ball before. <laughs> Hey, Hoggy, I want to ask you a question, Hoggy. There, there was a, a famous bit of footage when I think you were facing Michael Holding. You were batting and you were, I think you were almost off the square leg wicket. And he, that was it. That was a slow ball save. That's the one. And he followed you and it went back on the stumps. Now, is it true you walked off the field and asked, called your wife and said, are you recording this match? And she said yes. And you said to her, erase it immediately. Is that true? Well, my wife, uh, Meg's wife, used to, God bless her, she used to... Uh, Take the games, and um, obviously, yeah. when you um, when you've been laughed off the Western Australian cricket ground, but I was laughed <laughs> off the ground. Um, I felt, oh, this could be an embarrassing uh, moment on t- on uh, tape. So I did. I picked the still the gloves. So I picked up the phone and rang her and said, "Are you taking?" She yes, dear. And I said, "Erase the tape. I don't. I do not want my son to know I was a coward." And. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, YouTube came along, Shane. Yes, I know, mate. <laughs> you can't get away with anything these days. Nah, nah. We'll take a quick break here, um, and we're going to have a nice, uh, a nice, healthy lunch today. We're going to have some um, some fish. Um, some grilled fish, I think some barramundi fillets um, with a nice green salad, a nice little Chablis, and of course, an O'Brien beer. As a professional sports person, I knew the value of a good coach, and being a business owner is no different. With the Business Coach from Growth Workshop, you can build the business you've always dreamed of, a valuable business that runs by itself. If you need to take control of your future with a winning strategy, Growth Workshop specializes in improving your cash flow, developing sales and marketing strategies to drive revenue, and getting those ideas out of your head into an action plan. Growth Workshop will help you develop a business plan and achieve your financial goals with regular guidance from our experienced team. Whether you want to drive revenue with a new marketing strategy or put the right team and systems in place, we'll help you free up from the day-to-day and allow you to grow your business. We can help. Get in touch with Growth Workshop Business Coaching at growthworkshop.com.au to book in for your no-obligation strategy session. Growth Workshop, turning your good idea and hard work into a valuable asset. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer. 
the beer that loves you back. Hey, Merv, what was that the famous 89 Ashes tour like playing under AB? He was pretty grumpy then, wasn't he? Oh, mate, he had, he had good reason to be. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose from, from outside the team, um, that's how he came across. But from within the team, he was a fantastic leader. And the reason the press dubbed him Captain Grumpy is that he would go to a press conference. And remember, as we were recovering from World Series cricket in the late 70s, 19... 85 came along. We lost 17 of our better and more experienced players to the South African tour. So virtually Alan Border was given the captaincy. Bob Simpson came in as coach and Laurie Sewell, chairman of selectors, had some tough decisions to make. For the first couple of years, it wasn't a lot of fun, but to a man in the Australian team, when we loved AB because he'd go to a press conference and AB, uh, the, the press would get into the players and AB would just stick up for us. So... Um, you know, he just gets stuck into the media about um, whatever and, and virtually, um, I suppose, take all the pressure off uh, a young, inexperienced team. And to be honest, he, he wasn't that experienced in his, himself. He played a lot of cricket, but with the loss of all those players, it, it, it was a, a really tough time. But um, for, for the players, mate, we love what he did. And mm. within the group, mate, he's, he's just held in high esteem. Um, he just... As I said, took the pressure off the players, um, built a team, and by the time we got to, to England, I suppose it started to show dividends in 87 when Australia won the World Cup. I wasn't yeah. part of that, but, um, you know, it take, took a few years to become an overnight success, didn't it? So it took four years for, to to get that side together um, to initially show in the World Cup in, in 87 and then go to England in, in 89 and turn it around. And contributing factors there were... We had a young emerging side that had spent a fair bit of time together, to be honest, and we we were gaining confidence and belief in one another. But when you get three players of the calibre of Terry Alderman, Trevor Holmes and Carl Rackerman back from their suspensions um, from the the Rebel Tour, uh, that that was just icing on the cake. And we actually went over in 89, although referred to in the media by the worst team ever selected to represent the country, we we actually went over pretty confident that we're going to do well. And that and that eighty nine group really set up a, a golden period for Australia, and um and part of that golden period was a a guy that came along sort of not long after that Shane Shane Keith Warren and Hoggy, you predicted um in in the media that he would he would before he bowled one ball in Test cricket he would play a hundred tests and take five hundred Test wickets and you got sacked because you were wrong Hoggy you were way off well. I was a bit off, but um, that's what you did with the Truth newspaper. You just wrote rubbish because the paper was full of rubbish. <laughs> and I thought I'll just contribute to it. And um, uh, I picked up a calculator, Shane, and multiplied 100 by 5 and come up with 500. 100 test matches, 5 wickets <laughs> a test match. So wrote the article, 500 test wickets, and um, and got sacked for writing rubbish. So uh, that's just how the paper went. But obviously, Shane... Uh, I faced him in a district game and I just couldn't believe. I, I played against Peter Sleeper, who was Australia's number one spinner at the time. And Peter, you know, uh, God love him, but um, I could play him reasonably well, Peter. But uh, I had no idea about playing Shane Warne. He just made, made me look yeah. like a fool. I only faced three deliveries. So when he got picked to play for Victoria, I thought, well, let's write something brilliant about this kid because he's going to be a superstar. I was watching the other night on TV and you you don't realise how big his hands are. He was sitting next to yes. uh, to Gilly, 
and his hands were twice as big as Gilly. And when Shane puts a cricket ball in his hand, it disappears. He's got huge hands, hasn't he? Hang on, Shane. Just to recap there, Hoggy, you, you needed a calculator to figure out that 100 times 5 is 500. Yeah, just to confirm it. Make sure I didn't want to make a mistake in the article. Okay, that's that's good due diligence, Hoggy. Good work. <laughs> Shane, butting in on, he spoke brilliantly, Merv spoke brilliantly about Alan Border, but I don't reckon Alan Border wanted that Australian captaincy the way he got it at the start, like uh, Kim got sacked uh, half by, uh, at the end of the, the uh, Brisbane Test match and AB came up as captain. And I don't think he liked his mate getting sacked the way that happened and he didn't really want the job. Uh, he ended up an outstanding, unbelievable captain, but for the, for the first period of time, he did not want that job. He was a tough player, and he used to use that Duncan Fernley cricket bat, which was, I mean, it was a rubbish-looking bat. It looked like a fence paling. If, if he used the bat they use these days, he would have scored about 20,000 test runs, AB, I reckon. Mate, it's, it's chalk and cheese now, isn't it? The, the yeah. bats that, that we used to have, don't we sound like old-timers? The bats we used <laughs> in, to have. In, and our then, day, in our day, yeah. Mate, you have a, you have a look at the bats today, and you, you can't believe for the size of them how light they are. Yeah. His use of the his use of the crease was um, outstanding. Um, well, I remember the the first couple of test matches he came in. We played two test matches in Sydney, and they were spinning tops. And he batted through the well. He, he they couldn't get him out, but he's used to the spinners. The, the the way he was right back if the ball was just a fraction short, he was right back on his stumps or his forward. His ability to use that crease, and I, I don't see that as much these days. I think Labuschagne uses it a bit. But a lot of players these days do not use the depth in the crease as much as some of the past greats. Mm. If you're enjoying this episode, why don't you go back and check out a previous podcast where I spoke to two other great Victorians, Damien Fleming and Brad Hodge. Hey, um, Merv, I spoke to uh, to one of your other great captains in Tubby Taylor um, prior to this podcast, and I said, I've got Merv coming on a show. What what should I ask him? He said, mention, uh, I think it was 1994, you guys were in South Africa, and you were bowling up to the lunch break, and you're, you're asking Tubby, Tubby, am I bowling after lunch because you want to have a, a decent feed at lunch? And he wouldn't tell you. And you it didn't really matter, I did it. <laughs> no, you still had a big feed, and apparently you, you ran into first ball after lunch and collapsed, and the boys thought you'd done your hamstring, and... They all ran no, around. No, what, what, what had happened, actually, we, so we're playing Orange Free State in a lead-up to the test match. We come off four one-dayers. Yep. And we went to Orange Free State, and um, Hansi Cronje was was their best player, obviously. And, yeah. Um, it was the second innings of the game, and, and I was actually under a, a fitness cloud with my back, so I'd, I'd been having back spasms. So everyone was making sure that, that I was okay. And it was after – it might have been – I reckon it might have been the first innings, actually, so – um, we had them in a little bit of trouble, um, bowled up to lunch and off the ground. We're walking off the ground. Tubby, what's going on after lunch? Said, I've made my mind. Mate, I've got to know when I'm going to bowl. I said, why? I said, well, it's lunch. And he said, well, do what you normally do. So I just took that as to I wasn't bowling after lunch. So as you do, you, you just load up on whatever food is in there. And um, about five minutes, the umpires came in and said, right, we're on our way. Tubby looked around the room and said, Merv, you're starting. What? You're, you're starting. But but he said, no, you're okay. So, again, bear in mind, under a bit of a, a fitness cloud with my back, so ran in, bowled the first ball and got halfway down the wicket and I was just grabbing my back, just, oh, oh, no, oh. And I sort of turned, turned side on and, oh, and I'm, I'm looking at 
Peels his head's down. Tubby's sort of thrown his head back. Steve Waugh's at, at second slip. He's just, oh, they're looking at each other. What's going on? And they've just started to walk towards him. And even Hansi Cronje, who was on strike, he's, he's sort of the concern on his face. And, and he's walked out of the crease to, to come down the wicket to, to see um, how I was too. I was sort of hunched over and they got within, I reckon, about a metre, a lot of them, and, and I've, I've just let one fly, just the, the biggest, loudest fart I've ever ever done. Just... <laughs> oh, I stood up and said, oh, geez, that's better. And walked back to my bowling mark and Heels and Tubby and, and Tiger went back to slips and I was sitting there and we had to wait, I reckon, about 10 minutes for Hansi Kronja to stop laughing. Yeah, tears, <laughs> tears coming out of his eyes. He's standing over his bat. And you know when someone's just laughing uncontrollably, the shoulders are going? Like I am but, now. Oh, mate, we, we, have to, we have to sit there and wait for about 10 minutes for, for Hansi to face up. So, yeah, no, that's that's one of my, my better moments on the, on the sporting field. Uh, you can't beat can't beat schoolboy humour. Hey, um, Hoggy, uh, who was your roommate when you were coming through? Um. I, I don't know, mate. We didn't we didn't specify uh, roommates. They just used to vary all the time. So I haven't got a roommate story for you. I think sometimes uh, over the years, I know uh, Greg, uh, Richie, and Wayne Phelps always roomed together. But uh, I just just have different people. It might be the fact that no one wanted to room with me. It's sometimes one of those things, don't you? <laughs> what about you, Merv? Who do you room with? Um, mate, I. I was probably a uh, sounding board in the Australian team. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> Last well, story. <laughs> well, basically, basically, when I'd been in for a couple of years, if if we got to Adelaide and they turned around and said, "Right, um, uh, Tugger, you're rooming with me," that that meant to him he was on the way out. He needed to make some runs. And then if we got a new player in, I'd room with the new player because he, he wasn't used to it. And probably um, best story was with with Mark Taylor. We mentioned earlier, but played his first test in Adelaide against the West Indies. And um, it was an experience for him. So we got the keys, got upstairs. There's this big king-size bed and this little stretcher bed. And Tubby just looked at me and said, oh, who gets a big, who gets a big bed? And I looked at him and said, well, how many, how many test tens have you made? Yeah, no. well, obviously, I get that because I've got one. So that was all right. So he get comfortable on the bed and then, um, he just he just wasn't prepared for for what came. So um, obviously he grew in stature and, and moved on. Um, and I don't think I have a room with him again. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about Hoggy. You put out an autobiography called The Whole Hog, um, and it was titled Inside the Mind of a Lunatic Fast Bowler. How, how long did it take you to write that? Well, it's just a uh, book full of sporties, and uh, John Anderson wrote that. And the bloke who published it. I don't know why he started it, but he got a bit nervous. Um, he thought, oh, this won't sell. So he did a book exactly like the same. Um, he he, he uh, was written up in about two weeks by Ken Peace and had the same front cover and he sat it next to mine. Um, and uh, <laughs> and we'll never know if mine would have sold well or not because everyone bought Warney's book instead of mine which was a bit annoying, actually, because it was a good book. It was well-written. Hey, Merv, and talking about, Merv, you've turned your hand to a bit of part-time acting. You uh, you portrayed Ivan Milat on The Fat Pizza. How did how, you find that experience? Oh, mate, I, when, <laughs> when they came to me and, and sort of offered me that role, um, I was pretty keen to do it. My, my manager at the time just said, no, no, that's, you can't do that. that. That's a disgrace. People people turn off. And I said, well, look what Eric Banner's done. Eric Banner's just done Chopper. 
And that's yeah. just led to international stardom. He's, he's played the Incredible Hulk. He's been over to America. So I just thought this role was going to open doors for me. And uh, no, no, it didn't. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was an interesting role. Um, how how risque can we get on this show? As risque as, risque as you want, mate. This is, this is over lunch. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to offend a few here, but I'll, I'll go with it anyway. But... I had an idea. So basically my big line was kangaroo, mate. Every time a police officer come on, I'd have blood all over me after just sort of carving up another backpacker. And, mate, what's going on? Kangaroo, mate. So kangaroo, mate. So in the show, Paulie, who's the main character, was hitchhiking up the, the Prince's Highway. I pick him up as, no, g'day, mate, I'm either. G'day, I'm Paulie. And I've got two German backpackers with me. So Heidi and Inga. Get up, big sign, Belanglo State Forest, turn left into the forest, drive drive into the wilderness and pull up on the side of the road. And Paulie, you wait here. I've got to go and take care of these two German backpackers. Yeah, 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 no worries, Ivan. You look after yourself. Take your time. So they walk into the, the – and there was no dialogue. And I, I said to, to the director, I've got, got an idea for some dialogue. And he said, well, what's that? I said, well, have one of the backpackers turn back to me and say, I'm getting a little bit scared. I, it's getting a bit dark out here. And I and I could say, well, spare a thought for me. I've got to walk back by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, it's, it's pre- it'd be a pretty hard job to do as if you're a method actor as well. So I'm, I'm glad you, you did <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, obviously, listen, yeah. No, obviously what Ivan Millett did wasn't wasn't great. We shouldn't be making light of it, but I, I just no, thought it was a... Hey, I, I ask uh, every guest that comes on the show the same question. I'll ask you first, Hoggy. Um, if you're a young... Uh, Talented fast bowler coming through right now. What advice would you give him, Hoggy? What advice? Um, never give up. Um, yeah. And uh, if I had my opportunity again, I'd work a lot harder on my batting and my fielding. And I think when 85 came along, Merv, um, it's more professional now. Merv was probably um, uh, good signs with Merv because he really worked on his batting and his fielding. And we give that credit to Bob Simpson. So just never give up. Love the game. I mean, I know, I know that sounds all pretty simple, but you've got to have passion. If you haven't got passion, you, I, and what I say to kids now, if you want to bowl uh, on a hot day, you're happy to walk back. If you've got passion, if you haven't got passion, you're wasting your time, go and do something else. Yeah, good advice. And Merv, what advice would you give to a young, talented fast bowler coming through right now? Um, if you want to be as good as the next bloke, do as much. If you want to be better, do more. Um, and that's, mm. that's just quite simple message, isn't it? If, if you're playing club cricket and you're training twice a week and, and playing on the weekend and, and you want to progress a little bit further, it's you've got to be better than the rest. And to be better than the rest, you've got to do more. So quite simply, work harder than the next bloke. And uh, and final question for you both. Do you, um, Hoggy, do you, do you think you played in a, in a the, the right um, era for yourself? Or do you think that the players are luckier now because they earn more money? Or do you think previous series where you had a little bit more freedom. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I was lucky that World Series came along so that I opened up opportunities. So I was I was in the right place at the right time because I was 27. So I was, I was going nowhere as yeah. far as playing for Australia. But World Series came, so I was in the right era. But um, as far, the question you asked there, well, we had a lot of fun. Um, today, they probably just sit around and talk about their investments. I like the in-between one where you mm. can... Talk about your investments and have fun. Yeah, I agree. And Merv, do you think you played in the right time? Well, it's interesting. Hoggy said World Series came along at the right time for him. Um, Rebel Tour to South Africa came along at the right time for me. Um, mm-hmm. So 
huge, huge openings for the Australian team and, and got the opportunity then. Um, and really wasn't, I, I couldn't understand or couldn't comprehend um, the standard, how, how, the, how much the, the standard lifted going into from state cricket to international cricket. Um, so I found that really hard to, to, to cope with early on. But um, once you get in and around the group, um, just to, to work hard. And I, I, I think if you sat down and you, you had a feeling and talk to the Australian blokes today, the, they wouldn't talk about money. They'd talk about their love of the game. And I mm-hmm. totally agree with Hoggy that you've you got to love the game you play. If you're playing it for money, you're not going to give a, um, your, your best effort. But um, I, I can't whinge about that because we, we in our year, obviously, we got paid a lot better than the guys before us. And yeah. these guys today... Um, for mine, they don't get paid enough. The scrutiny they're under both on, on and off the ground and with social media now, yeah. we didn't have to deal with that um, in the time that I played. And probably the scrutiny from the media into your private life came towards the end of my career. And I, I really didn't cope too well with that, to be honest. I don't mind being scrutinised for what I do on the ground, mm. but when they're delving into your private life, it made it very hard. So I'm... I'm a big rap for these guys um, that play today. What they do is, is sensational. They work bloody hard to get where they are. And as I said, for mine, they just don't get paid enough. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Um, I know both of you guys have given me a lot of enjoyment watching you guys play over the years. You're, um, you've been great ambassadors of the sport. But most importantly, off the field, uh, you guys, whenever I catch up with you guys, it make me laugh. You're always good guys to be around and have a beer with. So thanks for coming on the show. And Merv, enjoy your um, enjoy your fishing trip, mate. You're off uh, tomorrow, aren't you, or today? Oh, no, off, off this afternoon. So as soon as we jump off here, I've got the bloke back in the car off the drive to, to put the, the trailer on. But I'll tell you what, Shane, what we've got to do is get back out to Dubbo and, yes. and see if that um, kebab shop can open at midnight and not 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Big time, mate. <laughs> hey, Hoggy, you take care too, mate. I know you're over in Perth. And, um, mate, look after yourself, mate. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, mate. See you, Merv. See you, Hoggy. See you, Shane. Thank you. See you, boys. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Merv Hughes and Rodney Hogg. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes and making things happen. And thanks to our sponsors, the Growth Workshop Business Coaching, Spartan Sports, and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And do us a favour, hit five stars. If you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out in our socials. I'm at Lunch With Lee. Next week, we'll be chatting some more complete legends about sport, music and business on another cracker episode of Lunch With Lee. We'll see you then. Do, do, do.